Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest for this episode is newly elected Hall of Famer Mark Martin. It's been a whirlwind week for Martin, who found out that he was going into the 2017 class of the NASCAR Hall of Fame while he was cleaning bugs off his motorhome last week as it was parked in Indianapolis. He, of course, was there to attend the Indianapolis 500 for the first time, but he ended up shuttling back and forth between Indy and Charlotte Motor Speedway twice in two days last weekend. He drove the pace car for the Coca-Cola 600. So Mark Martin essentially did the double in his own way uh, as the honoree of being a new member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And him doing the double, I think, is appropriate for a driver who is as respected as he was in NASCAR, even though he wasn't racing in both Indy and in Charlotte. Uh, he certainly was was well received in both places because this is a man who uh, built immense respect during his racing career. Uh, Mark Martin, though, has a more modest assessment of his prodig- uh, prodigious talents, and that comes across in this podcast. Uh, in becoming a NASCAR Hall of Famer with 40 Sprint Cup wins, he believes it was much more what he knew about the cars as the way he drove them. So we discussed that. Uh, as well as why he didn't feel so comfortable at tracks uh, and why he hadn't returned to a track since his retirement in 2013. A hint, he doesn't view the garage as being a social hour. Uh, He also had some very kind words for NBC Sports analyst Jeff Burton. That's Mark's former teammate. Uh, Mark had an appreciation for getting to end things on his terms in a way that Jeff didn't. Uh, Mark also talked a lot about what he's got ahead of him. Another hint, it won't involve racing, even though Mark discloses that he got an offer to actually drive in the Xfinity series this year. uh, That part of his life is over and he clearly is on to the next stage and he's looking forward to it. But in the meantime, he's also looking forward to being around NASCAR a little bit more as a Hall of Fame ambassador. Uh, We appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes or send me feedback on Twitter at Nate Ryan about the show. 
Whether it's guest suggestions or format ideas, I'm always all ears. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Mark Martin. Okay, joined now by Mark Martin, newly elected NASCAR Hall of Famer. I'm sure that sounds pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I I was at Charlotte Motor Speedway this past weekend, Mark, and I know that um, you got to take a lot in there over the, the, those two days. And I know that also during that trip and, and prior to that, you had talked about how you hadn't been back to the track since your, your last race in 2013 at, at Homestead Miami Speedway. How did it feel to be back? What was that weekend like? Oh, it was uh, a really amazing homecoming. But first of all, you know, it, it does sound a little weird. Uh, uh, Hall of Fame, you know, those are my heroes in that hall. Uh, and it seems a little strange for me to be um, going in with them. But, uh, you know, it's it's very humbling, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about it um proud uh and it makes me reflect on the people that really uh help make it happen that's really uh the biggest thing is you know all the great people that i got to work with in motorsports all through the years that uh that together you know we made success and and uh one little brick at a time you know, uh, earned our way into that Hall of Fame is pretty amazing. It took a lot of a uh, lot of amazing people. I, I work with some really bright, determined, hardworking, uh, um, really special people through the years. Who are some of those people you got to see at Charlotte? Who you got to celebrate that with? Oh man! Well, just uh, getting to see all the members of the media. Um, you know, I I, I have missed. Seeing some of the fans uh, was amazing. Um, I miss them. Um, you know, I got to see Rodney Childers, um, and you know, got introduced at the drivers' meeting, um, and got to speak to a number of drivers, um, and and some of the crew chiefs and stuff. But I, you know, I mean, they were busy. Obviously, uh, you know what that's like. Yeah, they had a job, so it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't social hour, uh, but it was really cool, and it was just seeing all the people that I used to work with. Uh, it was pretty amazing, and you know I was at Indy. I was uh, when when I found out that I got voted in, and that was also uh, quite an unexpected homecoming um I, I may i went to an event wednesday evening uh where aj foyt i got to talk to him for a long time and and danny sullivan and rick mears and i saw chip ganassi and roger penske and bill simpson and um uh, john andretti and on and on and on many already lined like many guys that uh that i knew uh, and raced with and I rocked or that our paths crossed through the 80s due to sponsorship, uh, common sponsors and whatnot. Uh, and so it was uh, the most amazing week I've had since uh, I quit racing for sure. Was that your first trip to the Indy 500? Yes. And what was it like beyond meeting all those legends and getting to hang out with them? The, the race, the spectacle? How was the it? spectacle was something. Um 
I knew more people there than I expected. I don't know what I expected when I went, but I knew more people than I expected to see that I knew, and that made it really fun. Um, I was welcomed there with open arms, got to stand, got to uh, watch them uh, tech a car, a complete technical inspection, uh, and they told me what they were doing and how they were doing it, you know, as opposed to a NASCAR tech uh, inspection. Um, I got to go up uh, during carb day. I got to go into the race control uh, and watch that that from uh, a fly on the wall. I, mean, I just got to really do a lot of things that you wouldn't normally get to do, thanks to my old buddy uh, Jay Fry. Uh, he had me hooked up where I could do just about anything you could imagine So while I was there. So... So that was cool, and we were here uh, Saturday, um, you know, for the Xfinity race and drivers meeting and all, and intros, and then we're here for uh, the 600 drivers intro and intros and drivers meeting and all, and and uh, got to make a lap, a couple of laps. I led the field at uh, in the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, <laughs> looked vaguely familiar when I looked in the rearview mirror, coming around leading them off a four, you know, in the pace car. So I've seen that before. Right. Uh, From a different vantage point. Yeah. So it was a lot of good stuff. (laughs) Lots of good stuff. Yeah. I know that's your favorite track. Yeah. Uh, Did it feel odd at all? And did you get any itch to, man, maybe one more time be in one of those cars and be behind this pace car? No, not at all. No, but it does give me, I tell you what, about two months ago, they had a, a shot, TV shot from the pace car that was a different shot it was kind of down low uh it was looking back at the cars and you could see i i saw all those cars lined up and then i thought what did i feel like when i was in those cars like that and i and and you see things through different lenses when you drive race cars and what it did was make me realize what an incredible privilege that I had to be a part of the sport for so long and how I missed that part, just that view. I just didn't see a lot of things that normal people see, you know, because I had blinders on and that laser focus, you know, for all those years. And uh, so, you know, I, I it's fun for me, but I, I have no desire to practice a car, race a car, drive a car, a race car. I got my feel of that, man. I got to do it 40 years. And um, and I didn't do it because I loved to drive in circles even fast, drive in circles fast. I did it because, uh, because I was good at it. And... I'm not, you know, in my eyes, I'm not good at it anymore. I'm not good. I don't meet my standards. I'll tell you that. So why in the heck would I want to drive a race car? You know, uh, these young guys, uh, they meet my standards. Right. I don't really meet my standards anymore. So it's like, for me, driving race cars is uh, is, is a foggy uh, view in the rearview mirror. Yeah. And I have a very clear windshield right now that's wide and bright and i'm excited about it it was never about just going in circles if you weren't going first in circles it wasn't worth it to you. It, it wasn't enough yeah yeah it yeah. was it was and i love the challenge mm-hmm. you know i mean i like being on top but i didn't mind not being on top and digging 
trying to get there. But when you're sinking, when you're when you're when you're off the top and you're sinking, like I was, you know, I felt like I was in 2013. Uh, you know that that that's not what I want to do. Yeah, you said it didn't feel like social hour when when you were at Charlotte. Was is that partially why you didn't go back to the track? Is you didn't want to be, in, I guess, infringing upon what you knew everybody was doing, and you were so focused. You know, everybody else was that way on a race weekend, and you would just be sort of superfluous if you were there and just in the way. How people feel is not necessarily reality. So when I so I, <laughs> yeah. when I answer your question, it may not be real. To you. you know, I mean, you guys might yeah. just laugh at me and say, "Dude's crazy." which obviously I am, but, I, you know, I don't feel like, as a race car driver, you know, I had a place at right. the racetrack. I don't feel I have a place at the track anymore. Right. Uh, first of all, where would I watch from? What would I do? How, you know, until uh, just two weeks ago, how would I get passes for the racetrack? Uh, they, NASCAR was good enough to send me a hard card about a week and a half ago uh, that says Hall of Fame on it. So that's pretty cool. I could just show up at the racetrack and walk around with that thing around my neck feeling all proud now. So I do have a place. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, yep. what are you supposed to do? Where are you supposed to watch a race from? Right. I don't know. I mean, I sit on stand on – where? I, I don't even – you know, I don't have a motorhome. I mean, mm-hmm. and if you were – if you had a motorhome, you'd watch it on TV. And, you know, why would you want – you know, I, it's just, it's weird if you don't have a job there, like I'm not a broadcaster. I don't fancy myself as being uh, good enough at being a broadcaster to do it. So therefore I felt kind of strange about going to a race. Yeah. So it really is just about as simple as now you're, you have the NASCAR hall of fame tag and that makes the difference in terms of giving you at least some sense of purpose when you're there. It does make a difference. I mean, I assume that the races I go to, first of all, I'll probably have invitations to go uh, and, and probably have some things to do. You know, uh, I'm a huge fan. I watch it on television. But to go there in person, it just, just seems, you know, go there for in person with nothing to do. I mean, if I just went there to see the people, that'd be one thing I could say, Hey, look, I'm going to go to this one race, the Daytona 500, because I'm going to know it'd be like the Indy 500, you know, I'll see so many people I know and that'd be fine. But just to go every other week or something like that, I I don't know. I, I, I I didn't say it made any sense. I just said (laughs) it didn't feel, I didn't feel compelled to go to the racetrack. I didn't feel like there was a place for me there. It makes sense to me. I think, I think it makes sense to everybody once, once you get a chance to, to fully expound on it. Although certainly from our perspective, as someone who knows how well respected you are and how people talk about you in such reverential tones, whether it's peers or team owners, um, crew chiefs, I, I think you were one of the most respected people in the garage when you were active in there on an everyday basis. So I think when we look at it, we, we think, well, why would he feel uncomfortable? We know everybody loves him. Well, and there's another part to that, too. Uh, there's another piece to it, and it is this. So after 2013, there were quite a, quite a lot of rule changes for 2014. And I didn't immerse myself in those rules changes and I didn't go to the early tests, and pretty soon I didn't. Usually, I felt like I knew as much or more than anybody in the garage about 
right. what was going on. Right. And pretty soon I didn't. There again, I really liked it better when I knew as much or more than anybody around me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and when I didn't know, it's like, well, you know, I wasn't, I didn't feel. Also, if I went and hung out at any one particular uh, group at the racetrack, I was a little uncomfortable that that I would be viewed as a spy or something like that or someone who spread information around. If I was allowed into the tight circle, then, you know, it might make someone uncomfortable. I didn't want to make Jack Roush uh, or Stuart Haas or, you know, or anyone else, uh, Hendrick Motorsports or anyone else that I had had affiliations with. I didn't want to make them uncomfortable. So chatting with them is one thing, but really being immersed in really the nuts and bolts of, of the racing, sure. I wasn't sure. I didn't want to make anyone in, uncomfortable. So that was another part of it. Do you think that immersion, Mark, set you apart as much as your talent, that you had such car knowledge, that you understood the chassis so much? Was that as big a part of knowing how to get around the track? Absolutely. That was, that was me to the core. Like I learned early with my late models that it didn't matter who I raced against. Larry Phillips... Uh, Dick Trickle, you know, Bob Seneker, it did not matter. I could win if I made my car better than them. And I was a hands-on guy. I worked on my cars all through those years. And so when I came NASCAR, uh, to NASCAR, I worked on my own cars in the beginning. And then, you know, as I got with Jack, I got away from that. But I never got away from what was going on with my cars how the bodies were hung, what the arrow was like, what the setups were, what we ran in the, under the car, the shocks and all those kind of things, all that stuff that made speed because it was still the same principle. I never once considered out driving Dale Earnhardt, but I could beat him when I made my car faster than his. That's what I focused on. And I focused on that well in, you know, right up to the last part of my career. Um, you know, and, and then late in the career, uh, when the things started changing so much toward, uh, you know, technology, uh, uh, simulators, um, and I got an opportunity to work with, uh, you know, people that were, were operating and the setups were changing where they didn't make common sense anymore. When we started running them soft in the front, big bars and big right rear and all this stuff that was all about. Uh, attitude of the cars and stuff it was hard to stay immersed in that and plus I'd been immersed so long that I probably didn't want to I'll tell you this if I was a young driver today I'm not sure that I wouldn't have a computer and the sim because I think that's what I would do at night right when we weren't on the racetrack I think in the, at night I'd be running that sim just as the engineers do right because that's that was me that's who i was that was that was rusty wallace that was alan kawicki you know um that's where we came from and that's that's what made us tick and and uh and and that certainly uh had most everything to do with my success now as as i got along i finally figured out that i was you know average or or better as a as a race car driver too but uh, but early on, I probably was not not an average race car driver, but I did way above average, got way above average results because I, 
you know, I focused on making race cars fast. That's the way to outwork people. That's and right. so now you have to do it. The 10,000 hour theory has to be with a simulator as much as on the track. You yeah. Think. And right. I mean, I've said that before and I don't know, it's ridiculous. I'm sure no one, no one will do that in this day and age, but that's where my interest is. Yeah. And part of the attraction to me to racing was that challenge. Mm-hmm. That was part of it. And as I worked my way through, uh, um, especially by the time I got to Michael Waltrip Racing, uh, they were really technically advanced uh, when I went there. And Rodney Childers uh, and the setups and the simulation that they did and everything. Um, I worked really well with Rodney Childers, and we uh, collaborated, collaborated well on the setups, except I didn't really know what shock he put on or whatever. We discussed theories and feelings and those mm-hmm. kind of things but it wasn't the same as is you know listen i won a, a hundred races it felt like a hundred races you know with a 1800 right front spring and a 1200 left front inch and eighth bar and a 400 and a 350 in the back 10 and a half 11 and a half track bar you know just you know 51 five front and 50 you know, 50% cross weight. I mean, I knew all those parts and pieces. I could tell you the build of the shocks and all that stuff on most of those races that I won in, in Xfinity series. And the I could name exactly what was in the car at Rockingham in 1989 when I got my first win, for example. So, but I can't remember where I lived three years ago, <laughs> you know, what their dress is or where I lived three years ago. So it's really... Yeah, there. I've got issues. I don't know what they are, but I've got some issues. Let's say you're a racing savant. I think that'd be a nice <laughs> way to put it. Um, Mark, we had Jeff Burton on the podcast a couple of months ago, and he told me this story that I want to get your side of because it involves you. Jeff said that uh, his uh, last start at Homestead Miami Speedway, that that 2013 finale, he said he went down to see you and, before the race started. He started crying, and then walking back to his car, he said that he couldn't help it because he knew how hard you had worked. And he knew the things that you guys had done together. And Jeff didn't know at that time if that was going to be his last race or not. And Jeff said that he wanted to experience what you were experiencing, where you had that finite end to your career. I guess my first question is, do you remember that moment? Of, I, you know, I do. What I was do. your side of that? Well, it was a very profound moment. There's no one, there's no one like Jeff Burton in my life. They're, they're, you know, he is an incredibly special person. Uh, he only has one flaw that I know of, and and I've called him out on it, and that is that he seems to like me. <laughs> that, I mean, you know, too much. I mean, it's like I don't know how he doesn't recognize. Uh, I think he re- probably he's way smart enough to understand and recognize that I'm not that smart, but I think that 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 my work ethic to him overrules and overpowers everything, and so he. He looks beyond and doesn't see my faults because he has such an amazing respect for, uh, you know, my work ethic. And, and he and I are two in the same in that respect. Uh, he, when, when Jack brought him in as a teammate, uh, the first thing he did uh, at Roush Racing was uh, bring information and speed to me not the other way around. Mm-hmm. He didn't just tag along and get on board with Roush Racing and, 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 and expect everything to flow to him. The first thing he wanted to make sure that happened was, hey, you know, I got something here for you. And, and he was a teammate like that, and he always was. And um, just there, there are not people that 
there are not very many people. There's a lot of people that have a lot of respect. There are not many people that are like Jeff Burton in my eyes. Hmm. Well, you, did you feel fortunate what he was talking about that he felt as if he kind of wanted, he wanted to know what it felt like when, Hey, this is my last race at Martinsville or the last time I'm doing this. He said that he wasn't looking for a farewell tour, but he wanted to go out on his own terms, which exactly. I think you got to do. Did it, is there an appreciation from I, your sense of that? Yeah. Well, I did. And I feel sorry. I feel bad for him because he didn't, uh, it was uncertain. It was, uh, it was, a. uh, an unfortunate situation that he wound up in and facing. Um, so, so I understand, uh, where he, where he comes from. Uh, that's why I am so fortunate that I have no regrets. Like I still, I had an opportunity in 2016 to drive an Xfinity car that could win. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Part time. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to drive a race car. Right. It might be a car that could win, but I don't know if I could win in it. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. I, you know, I'm not, I don't meet my standards. So I was able to race until I didn't want to race anymore. And it's really hard for any athlete to, you know, to quit, uh, when they're not ready. I was ready and I was fortunate in that, but uh, you know, professional athletes really have a hard time giving up their life's passion because there's nothing else. In most of our lives, there's nothing else that, that um, you know, is anything like that. Right. And I, I, I can vouch for that. You know, the things that, that were the coolest things in my life, or in my career, I'm sorry, the coolest things in my career, I'll never experience again. And... You know, man, that's that's weird. You know, <laughs> how do you live with that? You just have to be okay uh, with it. Well, hey, you know, I, I was lucky. I got to do that. Yeah. You know, I stood in the garage area when no one was around and it was dark, and my car number was on the top of the scoreboard. I'll never feel that again. Yeah. You know, and that's okay because I got it more a lot. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> and so. I don't feel sorry for myself. I feel very lucky that I got to do that and experience that. Because it happened. How how far along did you get on driving an Xfinity car this year? <laughs> did you? T- was that a very long discussion, or was it? Nope, I'm not doing no, it. No, it was just pretty much. Well, I really appreciate the offer. Uh, that's amazing. I appreciate it, but I I I just don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to drive race cars. I don't. Like I said before, I don't want to test one. I don't want to practice one i don't want to take a late model dirt car out when nobody's around i don't you know dude i drove right i drove a lot 40 years worth all the all the time sometimes as many as four or five days a week sometimes as many as five days a week and i did that and i don't drive race cars anymore it's the way you know I, i'm always i'm not worth a flip at looking back never was yeah and i'm not look now i can see behind me it's a little floggy but i can see behind me but i'm not good at looking back i'm good at looking forward always have been and man i'm steaming full steam ahead just like i did you know i could win a race and couldn't enjoy it because i was so laser focused on tomorrow's race or next week's race what are we going to do to get better how are we going to do this again? And that was just, uh, that's what drove me. 
What uh, I know you've talked a lot about what's in your windshield um, and, and that future. I, I know you, you brought Arlene and Matt here, your family, um, for this NASCAR America taping. I know you're, you're spending this week in Charlotte. Are they a big part of your life now? What, what, what are you doing now, I guess, post-driving career? Well, it's not, nothing exciting. Um, I got a new motorhome uh, uh, the end of May uh, last year, and I put 16,000 miles on it. Uh, driving around the country myself, which I'd never drove the last three coaches that I owned. I'd never even moved them in a parking lot. <laughs> so um, Where, Where'd you go? Uh, Vegas, uh, New Orleans, San Antonio, uh, Naples, Florida, the mountains multiple, th- or North Carolina mountains once, Chattanooga multiple times. I have grandkids and, and kids in Chattanooga. Uh, we just, uh, just, just all over. And, uh, uh had you know having a ball with that i really love that i connect really connected with my young roots on that because i mechanically you know it's just enough it's not so much of a challenge that i can't work on it or fix it Mm -hmm. but it's not so overwhelming that i can't i just can't do it like like my home is too much for me i can't keep it perfect something's always wrong and half the time it's like I can't fix that. I got to call somebody, you know, and get them to come. Uh-huh. But usually with a motorhome, I can call somebody and have them tell me what to do, and then I can undo it, <laughs> you know. And and I really like that. So I get my hands dirty, and I work on stuff, and I piddle on things, and I cheerlead a little bit, which I'm okay at, you know, around uh, our dealerships there in Batesville. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, things in the community. Uh, you know, uh, charity, charitable things in in our uh, community there that I'm really proud of and going to be doing a lot more of and just doing some social things there and a lot of family time, visited family more than usual. Living life and and, uh, I love it. I mean, I love it. I'm, you know, I like, I like what I'm doing now. Uh, I like my life. if I wanted to do something different, I think I would. Yeah. You know, but I can't. I, I, I'm just kind of winging it, you know, as we go. Just going. I go wide open every day, just like I always did. It's just at less important things. Or maybe they're more important, you know, because most of them aren't the same things that I did when I raced. So maybe they're even more important than ever because those are the things that I didn't do as much of. Just curious, are you, are you still working out at 5 a.m. religiously every day or 6 a.m., whenever that is? I gave up that, that uh, early. <laughs> it's more okay. like 7 to 8 start time. A little more leisure. Uh, okay. And I train, I'm, I'm working out. Uh, I used to train like, a, like an athlete, you know. I mean, serious. I mean, serious. And I, I you know, I'm, too, I'm 57. I don't need to train like that. Uh, I... Uh, so my program is a lot more, uh, it, it's still fairly intense and some people that don't exercise would probably struggle with it. But if I have to miss a week, I miss a week. Um, you know, when I was racing, I got my four days a weekend. It didn't matter if I had to get up at three in the morning or what, you know, I got my four in and, and, or if it was five, I got my five in if I was on a five day program. Now. Uh, I'm 
a little bit more relaxed about it. All right. I think you've earned that. One more for you before we let you go do NASCAR America. As, as Winston Kelly like uh, filled you in on what the duties will be for you, I know that they, they rely heavily on when they have inductees who are, who are still with us, they're ambassadors and they want you to be the face. Have, have, has it given you an itinerary, number of races, where, where you're going to be the next year as you prepare for this induction? No, we hadn't had that discussion at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I welcome... Uh, I welcome it uh, at this point. I don't have any idea what what's in store, but I welcome it. I will say the last couple of months, I really started missing the fans and the members of the media, the journalists and all, and, and the competitors. They were my family forever. And, you know, I, I would miss them when I'd watch a race. Uh, I wouldn't miss racing a car, but I would miss the people and so I'm wide open to whatever comes next you know uh, and uh, look forward to talking with Winston and figuring out what uh, what I can do to help promote what I think is a very important part of our sport and that's the Hall of Fame because 50 years from now that will be the really the only conduit that, that our young people have to where the sport came from it may be important now, but it's going to be a lot more important 50 years from now than it is today because, you know, some of the old-timers, you know, still remember what that was like. But 50 years from now, no one will have any connection all the way back to the early days and, and, and the people that that made this sport what it is so that they could be a part of it. Right. That's a gospel that needs to be spread, and I'm glad that you'll be you'll be doing that. We'll look forward to seeing you at racetracks. It's good to have you back, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Our thanks again to Mark Martin for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. He did a terrific job this week on NASCAR America as well. It's good to have him back in the NASCAR realm, spreading his insight. I have many leftover questions I didn't have time to ask him, involving many people he raced with or for or against. So I hope we get another chance to sit down with him again before his induction into the NASCAR Hall of Fame next January. Thanks as well to Tess Quinlan for producing the podcast, this episode, and all of the rest are available on Stitcher, thanks to Tess. You also can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes. We'll have another episode next week, and I said that I'm superstitious in the last episode. I don't want to jinx who it is, but I'll give you a hint that it's a driver who hails from the same state as where next week's race is. So there's your hint. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.